Welcome to the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Here are your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Stahl. All right, welcome to our podcast where we cover business in the news and also add our legal twist to those news stories. My name is Nasser Pasha. And I'm Matt Stahl. And here today we are talking about messing up all the bad mistakes that you business owners make all the time. Yeah, it's it's coincidental because I know you messed up Valentine's Day, which was two days ago. So <laughs> we're talking about more business related mess ups, but yeah, not personal mess ups. This is a nice fit for you, though, I think. But we're not going to get into personal stories on this on this podcast. Thank you. <laughs> There's a lot of ways that businesses can mess up. And I guess we're going to we're going to focus more on startups specifically and you know, obviously there's ways you can screw things up at all stages in your business, but there's crucial things at the beginning that could really be big impediments down the road. So to me, one of the biggest things that could happen for, you know, a company, especially if they don't really know each other beforehand, is not having any sort of agreement in place, or at least something in writing saying who is doing what, or I guess more importantly, what the ownership is of the specific individuals. Because oftentimes, not oftentimes, sometimes you'll have, you know, a couple people get together, you'll start working on a, a project together, it turns into something, maybe even go so far as to even, you know, file something with the state and become an actual entity. But don't come to an agreement on who owns what or who, if there's a majority and just kind of what more defined roles, I guess. So to me, that's that's one of the bigger things where I can see a startup just not getting it right from the onset. I think we talked about this at least a couple of weeks ago or so about how partners get together and they're excited about you know their business idea and they're like, okay, let's just do it 50-50. But then down the line, that ends up not making sense or you have more than two partners and everyone expects it to be equal when in reality that may not make sense when more one person may be putting a lot of money in than the other, or, or they have this somehow vague agreement. And whether it's in writing or not, it usually needs to be a little more specific than that. And that requires, frankly, tough conversations. Sometimes when companies start up, they, they need some money. And so they're kind of willing to do anything to get that money. And, and sometimes they have to give up equity to do so. So I know you're big. I know you recently wrote a really nice post that we'll link in the notes of this episode about ways to keep control while still maybe achieving some of those other things. I, yeah, I, I, do, I do like control because, because to me, the control aspect is actually worth more than the equity itself. I mean, obviously you need equity, some kind of equity ownership to make it worthwhile. But when you have control, sometimes the only person you can really trust are yourself. And when I say yourself, it doesn't necessarily mean you can't be with other people and you can't share control with other people. But when you're dealing with outsiders or people that you haven't been in business with for, for a while or don't have a tremendous amount of trust, then it's risky, right? I mean, I'm not saying that you're doomed to fail, but there's a level of risk in there. So yeah, I, I like that. I, I think one of the, some of the other things that startups just we see over and over again is they you know, do do it yourself incorporation processes, whether they go through legal zoom or, or otherwise. And, you know, we've seen a number of weird things, but some of the basic stuff that you would think 
would be covered are things like, I don't know, filing an S corp and then, and then having an entity or a foreign person own a share for the S corp, which you can't do. Or even if you, you're a professional corporation and you file as a corporation instead, and legal is not going to, you know, guide you through those kinds of, uh, kinds of things. In certain instances, I think you can get by with that, but more times than not, you're probably gonna have to go back and at least change things. So you're spending time and more money just fixing the mistakes and you spend more money and time than you would have had you just done it right at the beginning. And I don't want it to make it seem like we're saying, hey, you know, we're we're attorneys, you need to have this stuff done by attorneys. I, I think it's just as important, maybe even more so on the accounting side and especially the payroll side too. If you don't have, if you try to handle your own payroll or your own accounting and taxes, I mean, you need to find professionals to do that work because I know you're trying to possibly trying to run that lean startup model, but it's, it's just not, not worth it in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. And it's interesting how you mentioned taxes too, because, you know, obviously we're coming up to April soon. And for most people, before they own a business, they've maybe at least done their own taxes once, you know, it just, obviously it kind of depends on your circumstances and maybe some of them even have at least done their own taxes using some kind of tax software or whatever. And they even have tax software that is fitting for businesses. But I'll tell you, you know, a 1040 easy is a very simple form to, to file. But once you start filing other forms related to your, your corporation, your S corp, your LLC taxes and S corp or not, it gets complicated. I mean, most attorneys don't do their own taxes, even if they try to configure it out, it's just leave it to the professional that that's all they do. You know, that's what they do. Yeah. I mean, it's likely if they haven't done it before, especially when you hit the, the corporate side, if it's an actual corporation, that's they're going to miss out on forms that they need to file. And it's not just, oh, I screwed up on my own taxes. You're screwing up on the other owner's taxes as well. And then, you know, someone's got to prepare, prepare these these schedule K ones and it gets into a whole murky area, but yeah, it's, it's just worth it to have someone who's a, a tax preparer or CPA accountant, et cetera. Look at that stuff. I've actually noticed some billboards. I don't know if it's in Texas too, but here San Diego, there's billboards urging people to look up whether their tax preparer is registered, a registered tax preparer that has a uh, PTIN number prepared tax I don't know. PTIN. It's, <laughs> I don't know. But it's urging people it's urging people to make sure that the people that are preparing their taxes are actually able to do so. And that's something you have to register with the IRS to sign off on it at least. Wasn't there a new a new change for tax preparers this last in 2014? Uh it's possible. I don't know. <laughs> well, of course of course it's possible. Pretty much every year I register and get my PTIN number. I think it's only 63 bucks a year, so it's not bad. But I think as an attorney, you can pretty much automatically get one. I have a background in tax, so I actually have more familiarity with it than most attorneys. But I have many friends that are attorneys that are have no idea anything with taxes, and they can just get their PTIN number and move on. But I think most of them are smart enough to, to realize they shouldn't do that. But <laughs> there's probably some out there that that's not the case. No, that's true. I mean, I, I know quite a bit about it, about tax, but preparing taxes is different than, you know, understanding tax, I think, too. Yeah, definitely. Attorneys have a little bit of a, they already have a fiduciary responsibility, ethical rules that binds them to be competent with whatever they're working on. So, well, we spent way more time on taxes than uh, (laughs) forget what we've been talking about. 
the wrong decisions that startups can make. Yeah. So what else? I'm sure there's a, there's a bunch of others, right? I mean, you know what's a what's a good one, and this is very early stage, and I've actually seen this happen multiple times. And it's work. It works on two different phases. So a company, you have to have a name, obviously, for a for a business, and so they'll come up with a name and not realize that one, it's taken, or two. I mean, there's one thing to have your URL, to have the domain name taken. You can get around that. But two, <laughs> if the actual name itself has already been registered with the state <laughs> or even worse, if there's a trademark and the name's already trademarked, then you're, you're kind of just screwed. And you know, you build this whole, whole thing. Maybe you've already paid to have it, a brand created and everything like that. And then you realize that you know, you've wasted time and money. And I, I mean, I know some branding, some businesses that are in the the branding and creation like that don't necessarily screen the names for any sort of conflict to see if anyone owns that. So you might just assume that you pay someone, oh, I'll pay this, and they created up, they created this name, logo, et cetera. But they don't always screen those to make sure those aren't taken already. I think that should be a practice, and I know some of them actually do that as part of their part of their process. Obviously, they're not attorneys, but they'll they'll kind of just do a quick quick search just to make sure. You know, and, and I, we just experienced this uh, about a month and a half ago. We had a client that was developing a product. It was a new client and they had already developed it and started marketing it. And the problem was is that when they approached a trademark attorney at that time, they're like, well, there's a, there's a competing mark here that could be of issue. So if you file it, it may bring more attention to it. So you know, it it may not be a good idea to file it because, you know, and which in theory could make sense. But the problem is, is that the answer should have been is you have to change your name. If you want to make this trademarkable (laughs) to enforce this, you're early in the process. So now we're at the, you know, now they want to, they don't want to do that because they've been marketing it now. So no matter what, it's going to be costly. So now they have to decide, okay, should they trademark it and go forward and risk a competing claim and, and may have to, an opposition and may have to change it later or they just change it now. And so they're making the decision to just take the risk and see if they can get it through because it's costly either way and it, and it would delay their launch and so forth. So, you know, even in that case, they went to an attorney to try to figure it out, but identifying your trademark intellectual property of all sorts, not only your name, but what are the intellectual property you may have in your business? Yeah, it's, it's a good point. I have a couple, not as legal ones. So this is just from my perspective. For startups specifically, you'll see, you know, they might not always know their direction and that's, that's fine to some extent, but I see some startups just trying to do way too much at the beginning and say, oh, we have all these different revenue models. We go this way, this way, this way. It's like, well, maybe to me, you need to focus on one thing or maybe two things, but you need to focus down on some things and get those running efficiently. And then maybe you can expand after that. Cause I, I like the idea that you do one thing really well, as opposed to doing five things that are average, if that makes sense. And not only is that good business advice, even from a legal perspective, every service that you provide, every contract, every single little aspect or division or a face of your business has different legal consequences. And so just from from my perspective, from our legal perspective, that in itself may be a reason to simplify it. You know, for example, if you're launching a service, do you want to launch it locally in your state or launch it everywhere in the world? The legal consequences are quite different depending upon the type of service that you're you're providing and the regular regulatory implications of all that. So 
A lot, a lot of startups also love this lean startup model. Like that's, it's just a way that ev- everyone says that all the time. I feel like I hear it constantly. We're, we're lean startup, we're lean startup. Well, and I think half the people know what it is and half people just pretend to know what it is. Yeah, to me, and it's fine. Obviously your money's tight at the beginning. That's whatever, but it's, you got to be able to spend money too. Like when it, when you need to. So, well, okay, hold on. To be fair, the, the lean startup gurus would be chiming in right now. They'll say, well, lean startup doesn't necessarily mean cheap or so forth. So it, again, it, there's a lot of misunderstanding of what lean startup is, but I think they would say is that you have to spend money, but make it efficient and get to the point where you making sure you're not throwing good money after bad as fast as possible. Yeah. Can't make these mistakes at the beginning and some of them are going to be worse than others, but they can all come back to haunt you to some extent. Let's sum it up. What's the number one mistake that you think is probably the most detrimental? I think it's probably the first one I said. It's a combination of not understanding who owns, you know, what the ownership divides are and then who's necessarily in charge and doing what specific roles. I think that's yeah. That's central and it can affect everything if if that's an argument, then everything's going to be an argument because the ownership is, is going to be thrown off. Yeah, that that's one problem that can literally destroy a business. You know, if you incorporate it incorrectly, that's fixable. You know, if you didn't trademark your business name right away, maybe you can do that later. Maybe you can change your name and rebrand. You know, what, what, whatever the other ones we mentioned that most of those are fixable problems. And you're right. If there's a dispute amongst partners, that's a dead end. You know, there's nothing more toxic than fighting founders. I mean, that'll kill any business. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Have a good one, everyone. Keep it sound. Keep it smart. This has been the Legally Sound Smart Business Show with your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Staub. The Legally Sound Smart Business Show is your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Legally Sound Smart Business is a podcast that is intended but not promised or guaranteed to be current, complete, or up-to-date, and should in no way be taken as an indication of future results. No attorney-client relationship is created by listening or submitting questions to the podcast. The podcast does not constitute legal advice, but rather is offered only for general informational and educational purposes. You should not act or rely on any information in the podcast without first seeking the advice of an attorney. The opinions expressed in the podcast reflect the views of those individuals and do not necessarily represent the views of any other individual or business. For more information about the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, visit LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com.